This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. And now I pray that you would also give us ears to hear, that you would open up our hearts to receive it, that you would lead us to to put your word into practice. And also I pray, Lord God, that nothing I'm doing would get in the way of the work of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. One ingredient can make all the difference. Although I'm not very good at it, I do like to to cook and to grill and even sometimes bake. And there's one ingredient that you put in almost everything. In the butternut squash soup or in the chili or on a steak or in the cake or in the cookies, there's one ingredient um, that if you wouldn't put that ingredient in, it wouldn't look different on the outside, but then when you bite into it, you knew that something was missing. And this is the the, the ingredient that really, you would never eat it by itself. You never have a spoonful of this ingredient. But when you put it into different dishes and different desserts, it brings out the best in the steak. It brings out the best in the chili. It brings out the best in the dough and the chocolate. It, It brings out the best. What is this one ingredient that can make all the difference? Salt. Salt is that ingredient that you would never want on your own. And, but, but when you put it in and you season things with salt, it brings out the best in that dish. 
And because of those qualities, Jesus used salt as a metaphor for an essential quality, an essential characteristic that we need to season all of our relationships with. He said this, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. So there's some quality about us that's like salt and it's good. And if we don't have this quality, if we don't have this characteristics, we're good for nothing, he says. And um, if you practice this quality, if you have this seasoned in your life, you'll be at peace with each other. Now, the Apostle Paul must have heard that Jesus used salt as a metaphor in this way. And so the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Colossians, he makes a similar point. He says this, Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so there's something about how we talk with one another. There's something about how we, we, we have these relationships and conversations with one another. It needs to be seasoned with salt. And when we do, it, it improves. We have healthier relationships. So today we're continuing our sermon series on relationships called The Grace Between Us. And I want to talk about that, that quality, that characteristic that, that Jesus and Paul say that we need to have. Uh, that, that when we have it, brings out the best in us and it brings out the best in others. And, and this quality that, that if you don't have it, things are bland, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And so here's the question I want to answer in, in today's sermon. What is the salt that is to season all our relationships? What's that one ingredient in our life that will change everything? And answer this question, we're going to go back to our reading from 1 Corinthians. Now, understand this reading I, I, I just got done reading, it was, it's actually a letter. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the Corinthians, and he was the one who started this church in Corinth. Now, if you lived 2,000 years ago, and you were to think about church shopping, and sometimes that happens today where you go and you visit different churches and think about where you maybe want to live and where you want to attend church. Well, if you were to do that 2,000 years ago, and let's say you went church shopping and you, you traveled over to Galatia and you went to the Galatian church, you think, okay, they got some issues there, but it's an okay church. And, and then you took some time and you went over to Ephesus and you think, oh, that was pretty good. And I like the church over there in Ephesus. Paul started the Ephesian church over there. And, and then, but maybe let's try up in, in Philippi and go up and visit the Philippians and see uh, what their church is like, well, it was an okay church, but then you got to Corinth. And when you got to Corinth, you thought, something's going on here. God must be at work here at Corinth. Because when I went into Corinth, uh, they were speaking in the language of angels. They, they had this kind of angelic speech that they were able to do. And, and when I was there, there was a prophet there who spoke into my life and told me exactly what's going on in my life and what I need to change. And when I went in there with my blood clot and my leg, they laid their hands on me and I was healed at that place. This church has got it going on. And so if you were to, to think about this church in Corinth like a cake, it would be this beautiful looking cake with perfectly iced, uh, icing around the outside and, and, and perfectly placed uh, strawberries on top. And it's this perfect looking cake and yet when you'd bite into it, you'd recognize something's missing. There's an ingredient that's missing in this, in this church. And Paul knew about that. 
In fact, Paul was getting some correspondence about what was really going on behind the scenes, that there was something not right with this church in Corinth. What was going on is is they had all these emotional, uh, relational issues behind the scenes. For example, they had their favorite preacher. And some of them said, you know, I follow Paul. Paul started this church. He's the one I follow. And they would form this kind of clique, this kind of group around Paul. And then somebody say, oh, no, Paul, he's kind of boring to listen to. We follow Apollos. He is the great orator. And so they would form this clique around, around Apollos and they'd brag about him. And then they'd say, oh, I'm not part of that group either. I follow a guy named Peter because Peter was a real disciple. He actually was part of the inner circle of, of Jesus' disciples. And this started division and conscience because of their arrogance. And then uh, they wanted to portray themselves as this progressive, open-minded church that they were accepting of all different types of relationships. And inside of this congregation in Corinth, um, they allowed incestuous relationships. And they thought that was so open-minded and so loving. And then in addition to that, They were easily angered. In fact, Paul tells us that, and what he was responding to, was that they were taking each other to court. When things didn't go right or they got mad about something, they would sue their fellow congregation members to take all their money. In addition to this, when they would have the Lord's Supper, um, they would go ahead with their private suppers without being patient and waiting for the rest of the people, usually the poor who were coming off the field, And when they did arrive, they would brag about their fancy artisan bread that they would have the Lord's Supper with and their fancy wine without paying attention to those who were poor. And even when it came to these special gifts that they had, they were arrogant and looked down on everybody else who couldn't speak in tongues and couldn't heal people or didn't have that prophetic gift. And because Paul knew what was going on, because he knew that they were missing this essential ingredient, Uh, that, that made all the difference in the world, he wrote them this letter. And he said, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, if I can talk in the voice of an angel and, and speak the words of an angel, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise, like somebody banging pots and pans together and calling it music if you're missing that essential ingredient. He said, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, so let's say you you have this prophetic gift and you can speak into people's lives and you have this great big brain that you can understand the, the deep theological mysteries of God and you have this faith that takes these risks that can move mountains, but I do not have love that essential ingredient that's supposed to be baked into all of our relationships, he says, I am nothing. He goes on, if I give all I possess to the poor, and there are some people who are very wealthy in that congregation, they were making a big show of how they would give their money away, and if I give over my body to hardship, you know, giving yourself over maybe persecution or giving yourself to a worthy cause, but you don't have that essential ingredient of love. He says, I gain nothing. Paul says, you can do all these great things on the outside and look like this magnificent group of people with all these special gifts, but if you're not doing it with this essential ingredient, it doesn't matter. It's worth nothing. And so what is this ingredient? 
think this helps us answer our opening question. What is the salt that is to season all our relationships? It's love. It's love. And Paul says, if you don't have love seasoning all your relationships, if it's not baked into everything that you do, if it's not the the salt of your life, it doesn't mean anything. So what would that look like today, 2,000 years later? Well, if I would preach what I would think is the perfect sermon and say everything exactly the way I wanted to and made the, the best illustrations and moved people to tears and everybody was talking about it, but I did it for my own self and to make a name for myself, which can happen, it's not worth anything. It's worth nothing. And each week we have 50 people who, who serve and are volunteers and people who serve. And all these people serve in this church and we do it, all these great things, but it's not motivated by love. It's nothing. And if you attend worship week after week and you're one of those people that, that's always in church and from the outside, everything looks great. You're always here worship, week after week in worship. But if you're not doing it in love, love for God and love for your fellow neighbor, it's worth Nothing. And if everything looks so pristine on the outside, you have maybe the success on the outside, maybe a successful business or successful family, you're doing these, these accomplishing, these incredible things from the outside, looks so good, but if you're missing this essential ingredient of love, it's not good. It'll leave a bad taste in your mouth. It's not worth anything. And so what does it look like? What would it look like to season every part of your life with love? What would it look like to bake in love into all of your relationships? Well, the Apostle Paul goes on to explain that. And uh, this is a pretty familiar section, probably read at, at a wedding that you've been to. Even secular weddings will read uh, this beautiful section um, of this poetic explanation of love. But I have uh, maybe some surprise, maybe bad news for you. This was not written for a wedding. In fact, when Paul was writing, you know, when we hear this read at a wedding, this explanation of love, this poetry on love, we see the bride and the groom and they're staring at each other. And we hear the pastor say, love is patient and love is kind. And we say, oh, that's so cute. And we start to tear up. But when the original hearers would have heard this, they would have understood that Paul was was calling them to account that every, basically what he's saying is, whatever you're doing, do the opposite, and that'll be the loving thing. Whatever you're doing in your life, however you're interacting with people, just do the opposite, and that will be the definition of love. And that's what he says here. So he begins by saying, love is patient. And the reason he said, love is patient, is because they weren't being patient. Uh, like I said, when they would have the Lord's Supper, they wouldn't wait for the rest of the congregation to show up to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 11 that they would go ahead with their own private suppers and look down on those who had nothing. But, but love is patient. It waits for people. As John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says it this way, hurry and love are incompatible. It's hard to love people in a hurry. You know how this, this goes. That It's hard to love your family when you're in the rush, rushing out the door, right? You, you kind of step over each other and you kind of push each other out of the way. It's hard to love people in a hurry, but love is patient. It waits for people. It listens to people. 
takes time for people. Love is kind. And the reason he had to say love is kind is because they were not being kind. They lived in a society that was very particular about classes and about ethnicities. The rules were very clear that if you were upper class or if you were in the military class or you were middle or lower class, you were in a certain category. And you didn't need to be kind to people who were in that slave class or that servant class. And Paul says that's not love. Love is kind. It's considerate. He says it does not envy. The reason he had to say this is because they were envious. They were envious of people who were being successful And also we find out that the majority of the people in this congregation were nobodies. And so they would look at the pagan churches or the pagan temples and they seemed so magnificent and and so important and they were envious of the success or the importance of other people. But real love is not envious. It's not insecure and and worried about the success of other people or organizations. In fact, uh, when it's good, uh, real love has no problem celebrating the success of others. It's not envious. He says, love, it does not boast. And the reason, the word he used there for boast is he, he had to talk about this because they were boasting about who their favorite pastor was and the favorite clique they were in. And so he just say, that's not how love works. Uh, we, we're all in this together. These are mere servants. What we're really going to want to boast about is about the Lord and about how good he is. It doesn't boast, it doesn't brag. He says, love, it's not proud. And the reason he had to say it's not proud, the word here means to be puffed up, kind of like a blowfish, because this is what was described on how they were acting about their spiritual gifts. They were puffed up that they could speak in tongues and puffed up about how they could heal people and puffed up about how how they had this prophetic gift. And, And Paul says these gifts are meant to serve Don't be puffed up about the gifts, these things that you can do. They're gifts of God. Love is not puffed up. It does not dishonor others. It's not looking for ways to push people down. It's not self-seeking. It's not looking to take advantage of people. It's not easily angered. And this is what they were doing. They were self-seeking and easily angered. They were looking for ways that people had wronged them, even in the congregation, so that they could take them to court and take all their money. And, And Paul says, that's not how love works. It's not looking for ways to be angry at people. It's not easily provoked. Uh, it's not looking to take advantage of people or take advantage of a situation. Love, um, he says, it keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't have this tally sheet. All the ways that people have wronged you and all the ways that that people have have made your life difficult, Paul says, that's not what love is. That doesn't mean that you take sin lightly. It doesn't mean that, that you're not serious about sin. That's why he says the next thing, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. See, they were, again, really open-minded about what they thought about different sexual relationships and they thought, we're so progressive, we're so loving, we're so open-minded, we're so welcoming that we're even allowing this incestuous relationship in our congregation. And Paul says, that's not love. It's not loving to let people um, 
it's not loving to enable bad behavior, something that's not good for them or for their family. It's not good to, to support that kind of behavior. That's not love. It rejoices in the truth. Lisa Turkers, in her book, a very good book, uh, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, says it this way. But we can't enable bad behavior in ourselves and in others and call it love. We can't tolerate destructive patterns and call it love. And we can't pride ourselves on being loyal and long-suffering in our relationships when it's really perpetuating violations of what God says love is. So love holds people accountable. Love says, you got to stop that. That's not good for you. It's not good for your life. Love calls people account, speaks the truth in love. And they weren't doing that. And so he says, love always protects. Especially we think about how Jesus held up children as the, the, the ones we are to protect more than anyone else, the most vulnerable in society. It always trusts, always trusts in God, but always uh, it's, it's open to being vulnerable with those who are trustworthy. It always hopes. Love, a person who's filled with love is optimistic that God's going to work things out. You, you always hopes, always perseveres. You're not looking for the better situation always. The grass is not always greener on the other side. You're, you're able to persevere and be steadfast and faithful and stick with people and stick with things even when things go a little bit hard and you, you want to run. Love perseveres. Love never fails. It doesn't give up. So this is what it would look like to season all of your relationships with love. That you're secure enough that you're not going to be taking from people or bringing people down or puffing yourself up or taking action to take advantage of people because you're going to season every relationship with love. You're going to bake it into every interaction that you have. Now Paul says love is incredibly powerful, but it's also uh, the only thing that's actually going to last. And so he, he says this, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what it is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So Paul says, you know, where there are prophecies and tongues and knowledge, that's great. That's great if you have that. But one day we're not going to need it. So you're all puffed up about how you speak in tongues and how you heal people, how you prophesy people. But you know what? There's going to be a day when Jesus comes and no one's going to need that. You're not going to need a prophecy. You're going to see Jesus face to face. You're not going to need healing because you're going to have a resurrected body. You're not going to need to speak in the tongues of angels because you're going to speak with angels and speak with Jesus. So when that completeness comes, all that other stuff is going to disappear. He says, you know, there are things that we need in childhood, but when we grow up, we don't need those things anymore. And there are things that we need right now in this life, but when we become completely mature and resurrected, we're not going to need that anymore. But there's one thing we're always going to need. There's one thing that will always have value in this life and in the life to come. And Paul says that's love. We will always need love. 
We will need it right now and we'll need it at the resurrection. It's always going to be useful. And so we might as well learn to cultivate it right now. It's the only thing that's actually going to have lasting value. And so this is what Paul is really telling us. Salt all your relationships with love. Season every interaction. It's going to, just like salt brings out the best in you and in, in, in the foods, um, love brings out the best in you and it brings out the best in other people. It comes from a place of, of stability and security. It's not about taking or bringing other people down or, or playing games or twisting the truth. Love is going to make everything better. So salt every relationship, bake it into every relationship, season every relationship with love. It'll make everything better. But how do you do that? Where do you, where do you get this love? You know, if you need more salt, you just go to the grocery store and you go buy it, right? But you can't buy love. That's what the Beatles told us, right? They can't, can't buy love. You can't go somewhere to buy it. So where do you get it? How do you, how do you become a more loving person? And, and it took me a long time to figure this out in this text. Um, I, I feel bad because I sent our media team uh, three versions of the sermon. I finally figured this out by Friday evening, basically, about how we actually become loving people. How does this actually work? And it's in verse 12. He says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now what you need to understand about mirrors in the first century is that mirrors were not like today's mirrors. When you look in a mirror today, it gives you an accurate reflection. It's a clean mirror. Um, but in the ancient world, mirrors were polished silver. And so Paul is saying, like, right now, when the way we see God and the way we God, understand seeing God, it's like looking into polished silver. It, it, it's kind of, um, it, it's hard. It's not a perfect reflection. We see things dimly. We see things distortedly. We don't see all of who God is. But one day we will see God face to face. Right now we know God and who he is in part. Then we shall know him fully, even as I am fully known. And that's the part I want us to think about. That right now we are fully known by God. And that's unique because nobody else knows us fully. Um, some people might know something about you by what you put out on social media. They know a slice of who you are, but they don't know you fully. You kind of curate that and let people know what you want them to know. But then there are a group of friends that you probably tell quite a bit about what's going on, the things you're worried about, the things that are hard in your life, and, and you tell them something about that. So then there's a group of friends who know more about you, but they don't know you fully. And then maybe you go talk to your pastor, you go talk to a therapist, and you're, you're even more open and honest. But there's even some things you don't tell your pastor or your therapist. Not, you don't tell them every single thing that's ever passed through your mind and everything that you've all, always done. And even with your spouse, there's probably still some things that pass through your brain. Things that have been done to you or you have done, there's still some things that you probably keep in the dark because you don't tell them absolutely everything that you ever thought or are thinking at every single moment. 
And there's a reason for this. That we're afraid that if people knew everything about us, they would run from us. But Paul says we are fully known by God. That God knows everything about us. He knows the good things about us and and those good things about us, it says that God's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. He's, He's clapping for us, but he also knows those dark things about us. Things that we try to hide even from ourselves. And the Bible says that when God looks at those dark parts of our lives, he didn't run from it. In fact, he entered into the darkness, absorbed all those darkness parts of our lives, and he let them be exposed on the cross where they could be brought into the light and paid for and forgiven. And Jesus rose from the dead and left them in that tomb. And so right now, according to what Paul is saying, you are fully known by God in a way that no one else knows you and at the same time, completely loved. Now, when that grabs a hold of your heart, when that grabs a hold of your heart that there's somebody who knows you completely and fully and yet loves you at the same exact time, now you're at a whole new place of security. Now you don't have to take from people or seek from people or use people or step over people or rush past people. Now you can be patient and kind. You can now not delight in evil but rejoice in the truth. Now you cannot be self-seeking or brag or be arrogant or, or look down or envious because you have absolute security in the love of God that you are fully known and fully loved. And that's why Paul ends with this word, these words in verse 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. As Christians, we have faith in our Lord Jesus, and that's wonderful. And we have hope in the life to come. But the only thing that will last from now and into eternity, the, the greatest of all of these things, the most important quality Is love. It's the ingredient that makes all the difference. And so, just like you wouldn't think about eating a steak or having an egg bake or baking a cake or baking cookies without putting some salt in there, don't even think about having a relationship or an interaction or anything that you do without having love. As somebody who's a child of God, who is fully known by God and at the same time fully loved. Season all of your relationships with love. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, open up our eyes, open up our hearts, open our lives to experience love. Today you invite us to come and receive the Lord's Supper where we are fully known before you and yet you invite us to your table and we're fully loved. We pray, Lord God, that this new love that you give us uh, would give us a sense of security and stability where we can love other people. Lord God, lead us to bake love into all of our relationships, to season all of our interactions with love, to have our, our conversations be filled with grace, seasoned with salt so that we could be at peace with everyone. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, 
and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.